It's that time where I stand here, or whoever's speaking stands here, and you sit there. And I just wonder, as I'm about to start, are you expectant of the Lord to move this morning? Even now, are you? Because he is here. The living God that we worship this morning is here with us now. But he doesn't just sit still. He moves amongst us. He talks to us. He whispers in our ears. Be expectant. Not when I speak, but when anyone speaks. That the Lord would speak to you. To you. To you all. There is no one that he will not speak to. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, we welcome your presence in this place. We welcome you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. Lord, come walk amongst us this morning. Come, Lord. Come and speak to every single person here. And tell them who they are in you. Whisper your love that you are trustworthy. That you're a king of kings. And yet you call us by name. Lord, come close to those who need more love this morning. Come real close, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Right, you lovely people. Last week, if you were here, we be- I began looking at the power of prophecy to challenge our thinking by looking at 1 Samuel 10. And this morning, I want, to, I want us to carry on by looking at the power of the prophecy to change our names. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me at Genesis 32. There are Bibles on the side. It's really good. Get it out on your iPhones. It's good to have the text in front of you. A couple of weeks ago, some of us were at NLC, which is the National Leaders Conference for the Vineyard. And um, it was a wonderful week. And there was this guy who did the Bible study in the morning called Greg Thompson, who leads a, a Presbyterian church in Charlottesville, Virginia. And if you haven't heard his talks, they've been put on this, Neil put them on the city about a couple of weeks, um, a week, last week, and um, they are so worth listening to. He did three talks, and they're called Name for the Nameless, A Place for the Excluded, and An Answer for the Doubter, and I would recommend them highly. In his first talk, Greg touched on many things, but one of, the thing, one of the main key things that he said was this. We live in an unprecedented time in history where people have no idea who they really are. They don't know their true identities and they don't know their real names. He went on to say, this sense of not knowing your name or of being misnamed is foundational and fundamental. We have an entire generation of human beings who don't know who they are. 
They don't understand the depth of their dignity. They don't understand the grace of their minds. They don't understand the sanctity of their bodies. And they don't understand the meaning of their lives in the world. They are living a very real nightmare of namelessness. Well, I believe it's our role as followers of Jesus. I believe it's part of our God-given calling as the church to bestow on them the names the Lord has given them. I believe that part of the calling of this church, part of the calling of the whole body of Christ, is to prophetically call out the names. The Father has bestowed on the people we meet, on the people we work with, on those who are our family and friends. And our job, by the love of the Father and the work of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, is to give men, women, and children their true name. But the trouble is, most of us don't know who we are. We don't know what we've been called, and we don't even know we have been named. And even fewer people know that they've been named and called by God. We know what everyone else thinks of us, but what, what does God think of us? Now, don't turn with me now, but in Ephesians, it talks about how before even the creation of the world, God the Father had each one of you in mind. God didn't just create a generic human beings. God created each one of you uniquely and individually. In Ephesians 1, 4-6, the message says, Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took on planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift, giving by the hand of the beloved son. Even before the world was created, you were on the mind and heart of God in some unique way. In Psalm 139, David cries out what is true for every single one of us. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And there's a whole host of passages in the scripture that say that you have been uniquely and passionately crafted by your loving Father in heaven. In your mother's womb, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. And wonderfully, every single one of us has a different blend of gifts and talents, and personalities, and skills and interests. And God had something in mind when he created you. You are his. Something very special something very unique to him. And God has something very specific 
when he created each one of us. J.K. Chesterton said this, All of us suffer from the same dilemma. We have forgotten who we are. Far too often we respond to our circumstances according to the way in which we see ourselves. Words spoken over us, words spoken to us, become the names that we carry in our hearts. And these names paint a sort of portrait of how we see ourselves. They paint the picture of how we see ourselves. And not only that, but they can easily become the lenses or the filters through which we see and interpret the world around us. As one writer puts it, sticks and stones may break our bones, but names are destroying the future. You see, the trouble for so many of us is that what seems easy to remember and what seems to be the easiest thing that governs our lives is what others have said we are. But we've forgotten who he says we are. Do we know we have been named? Do we know that we've been named? So we need to know that we've been named by God, but we also need to know that it is we have been named. And in the same way that bad names can hold people back and lead us into destructive thoughts and unhelpful ways of behaving, so too great names can release power into our lives and bring us into the fullness of all the Lord has for us. If you look through the scriptures, many people in the Bible don't even begin to step into the fullness of all God has for them until their names were changed. I just need a sip of water. Which one was mine? Is it this one? Sorry, I get very thirsty up here. It's hard work preaching sometimes. One of these people was Jacob. And Jacob was someone who understood the importance of knowing your true name and the incredible difference it makes. So let's have a look at Genesis 32, 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob wasn't left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hips that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the, ma the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there and there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat, eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. In Genesis 32, we find Jacob at a river called Jabuk, which means empty and alone. Which pretty means, it pretty sums up where he was at. His brothers after him, his wife are always arguing with each other. His father-in-law is mad at him. And suddenly, at the lowest point of Jacob's life, he has this prophetic encounter. Jacob encounters an angel. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Anyway, Jacob wrestles with the angel all night long, and the angel mangles him. But Jacob refuses to let the angel go until he blesses him. And it's almost like the angel has had enough wrestling for one night, and as if his shift was over, because it's morning and he has to leave. But Jacob persists. And finally, the angel asks him in verse 27, what is your name? And he responds, my name is Jacob. And in verse 29, the angel continues, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, just at that point, Many people in this room have struggled. Many people in this room have struggled with God and with man. It doesn't look like Jacob's struggle. But it's a struggle of connecting with God and calling out, saying, I need to move on. I need help here. Help me. So Jacob knew there was something more when he was struggling with the man. Can you imagine fighting with an angel all night long and letting him go just because of a name? If you're going to wrestle with an angel, wouldn't you hold out for something more like health maybe or long life, happiness? Would you, not, would you have let him go just for a name change? See, if you knew what Jacob knew, you would. You see, his name Israel meant Prince of God or Power of God. And it was this name that released Jacob into all that God had for him. A prophetic calling forth of Jacob's true identity, his true name, Israel. This was a name that rightly described who he was and what he was called to. And it was no accident that after his name was changed, he became the father of of one of the greatest nations on the earth. Right throughout scripture, names were used to express someone's nature or a, pers or a person's purpose in the world. You see it ultimately in the naming of Jesus in Matthew 1.21. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. God saves. And the one thing you see again and again throughout Scripture is the Lord changing people's names. And he calls them into something new, into something new purpose, some new mission. He would often change their name. God changes Abraham's high, God changes Abraham's high father name to Abraham, the father of many nations. God changes his wife's name from Sarai, my princess, to Sarah, mother of nations. He changes Simon's, God has heard, name to Peter, which means rock. And when he changes someone's name, 
it usually has a lot to do with what God was calling them into. Because God sees something of his purpose in them, what he was calling them to be. Think about Simon. In spite of all the outward appearance, in spite of all he got wrong so many times, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, is, which when translated is Peter. Jesus looks at him and calls him Peter, which means rock, and then says, on this rock, I will build my church. That's pretty amazing. You see, the Lord looks on us and sees us so differently in the way in which we see ourselves that he often changes our name. You see it in Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch, the nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hezebah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. When we're talking about who we are, we need to know what we have been named. Do we know that we've been named? Do we know we've been named? Do we know what we've been named? And do we know we've been called to name others? Time and time again throughout the Bible, we see names being given as a sort of prophetic declaration of people's identity actively releasing them into what they, called, what they were called by God to be, and at the same time actively releasing the very characteristics of their calling. And this is something I believe we as a church are called to do. We've been called to name others. You see it if you go back to the beginning of Genesis 2, where God invited Adam into the act of creation by asking him to name the animals. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. And when Adam was naming the animals, he was prophesying their DNA and what they were to become in the world. And now where is there in parent in the Genesis 3.20, where Adam names his wife Eve. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Before Adam named her Eve, she was called woman. Before her name was changed to Eve, which means mother of the living, Eve was childless. After Adam's prophetic declaration, Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel. And once we realize who we are, our very behavior changes. Everything changes because we always act out of self-understood identity. 
And Abraham had to have a name change to fulfill his call. God prophesied to Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. But before he could step into the fullness of that identity, his name led to be changed from Abraham, which means exalted father, to Abraham, the father of multitude. In some ways, his name was limiting his destiny. It's so important that we all hear the name the Lord has given to us and allow the true nature of that true name to define who we are and our identity. And the mandate God gave Adam is one we can all move in as we ask God to reveal to us the true name and the true nature of those around us. And rather letting, rather than letting our friends and our families and our work colleagues and our neighbours carry on listening to the bad names that there have been spoken over them, rather than allowing them to keep living lives limited by the names they call themselves, we can call them into the true God-given identity by prophetically speaking over them the names God has given them. We have been all called and commissioned to call people into their destiny and real names. And the prophetic plays a huge part in this. When prophetic words are given, there are a revelation of people's true identities. I just want to end with a story I heard the other day. Chris Vallotton, who's one of the pastors of Bethel Church in Redding, California, was on a plane on his way to somewhere in the South Pacific. And he was sat next to a college student. They had about an 11-hour journey together, flight together. And as he says, they didn't seem to have anything very much in common. But he writes this. After a couple of hours, I decided to get some sleep. And when I closed my eyes, I felt the Lord telling me something about the young man sitting next to me. I turned to him and asked, what do you want to do with your life? I want to be a lawyer, he said. I found myself saying, you'll make a lousy lawyer. And then he perked up in, in an understandably angry voice and snapped back, what do you mean by that? I said, lawyers have an extremely high value for justice. Sometimes they need to see justice win out, even if it jeopardizes relationships. You have a great value for relationships. You need to be validated, loved, and nurtured. You need for justice in a, in a, is low on your priority list. The first time you'll go into court and have, an, have to attack someone's character to make your case, you're not going to be able to sleep at night. After a bit of a pause, he said, Wow, that's so true. And so Chris said, you know what you need to do? Know what? And so Chris said to him, you have this amazing mix of gifts. You have this incredibly creative side that expresses itself in something like acting. You also have an extremely left-brained side that likes to organize things and administrate them. I see your bedroom being really organized, and the clothes in your wardrobe being all hung in order of color. And then he said, you make a great film director if you give yourself to that. And then this young student almost jumped out of his seat. He said excitingly, I do organize my room and clothes just like that, just the way you said. 
And I've always wanted to be a director. And I was head of drama in high school. And so Chris said to him, that's what you need to do with the rest of your life. You're the next Steven Spielberg. Do we know we've been named? Do we know that we've been named? And do we know that we've been called to name others? I just have this, the Lord's reminded me of was one story, it's slightly different tab, but you are the light of the world. You carry the light of the world in you. And the light goes into dark places, but it shines. And I heard this story, um, Charlie Maxey spoke about it. And Charlie Maxey, has, uh, I, he does lots of alpha talks for HTB, and he's an amazing artist. And actually, I've got one of his... Um, little something's at my house of the prodigal son. It's incredible. And, um, but he spoke about his friend who was a, um, a minister in hospitals and just shows you when you know who you are, what the Lord can use. And I know you're all being used so mightily in different ways already, but some of you need to know who you are in a deeper way because the Lord has more for you to do. So there's a cure. Um, he's a min- he ministers in hospitals. And I know we're not ministers of hospitals, but so there's a guy who used this minister, used to pass by, and he used to put the V sign up at him every time he passed him by. And that obviously means don't come near. And um, so, so he'd pass him by, and this guy would um, just you know, carry on doing his thing. And so he just kept on passing him by. And, um, but there's one day when he didn't do that, and he called him over, and he said, oh, tell me about why you wear the white collar. So he was, he wore the white, he was wearing the white collar, so he told him about Jesus. And he said, how, how would you talk to this Jesus that you call? And he said, well, you see this chair, he pulled up the chair next to him. He said, pretend he's sitting right here next to you. Just tell him. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. So what would you say to him? So he stood up and allowed the guy to look at the chair. And he said, he would say, I'm really, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm really scared. I want to know you. And the guy said, well, that's great. That's a great way to start. That's praying. That's, that's what you're doing. Just carry on talking to him and tell him about your life. And, and, he welcomed, and obviously this guy welcomed Jesus into his life. Anyway, the guy goes, the minister goes, and he comes back a few days later, and he comes back to look for him. But he's not there. But he's gone. And the guy asks to the nurses, where's the guy gone? And, oh, he passed away. And, um, and the nurse said, but you know what? Before, after he spoke to him about this Jesus, he just kept on, kept on talking about Jesus. And he was full of light. Anyway, the guy left. But as he was leaving, the, the nurse of the matron, or whatever you call her, ran after him and said, look, there's just really something that you need to know of how he died and, and how we found him. And they found him on the corner of his bed, um, leaning over and holding the chair. And 
He got it. He got it. He got it. He got that the Father loves us. He loves you now. That love is not going to go away. And when he calls you, he calls you, come, come forward. And that guy, God bless him, he's in heaven now, but he got it. Isn't that a beautiful picture of him, the, the guy embracing and Jesus holding him? Just amazing. And that is our, he is always here for us. There's nothing you cannot do that would stop him loving you. There's no way you can go. There's nil in the Himalayas. And there's no way he can go without the Lord loving him. There's no way you can go. But we need, that's part of our identity, that we are known by the Father. You are known by the Father and you are loved. And when I'm talking about the new name, it's not you have to literally change your name, but if it's who you are, you are called by God. Why don't you stand? <clears throat>